Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to episode 46 of the Uncovered Podcast. I'm your host, Behram Kazi. You can find me at Twitter at DefMango. And with me, of course, as always, is Jared Kimber, who you can find literally everywhere. So, Jared, last time we spoke on the Uncovered, we were talking about how Ben Stokes might be unretiring and featuring in this year's World Cup, 50-over World Cup. Well, it's happened. Ben Stokes has unretired and he's back in England's ODI squad at the expense of Harry Brook. And I get that Ben Stokes is like the most clutch player England have ever had and he can perform miracles on the crease and can win them impossible games. But he's got a pretty bad knee. He was going for surgery or at least he was contemplating it earlier. And now he's going to be playing the 50-over World Cup and Harry Brook, arguably, you know, England's you know brightest batting talent coming uh, up top in recent years. He's not going to be there. So what are your thoughts on all of that? And unpack it for me. Yeah, I think I think for me that I I said that I believed for a long period of time that the plan was he would unretire at the last minute, right? Um, hmm. I think I said that last week. I think the Harry Brook part of it is actually maybe easier to explain when you look at Dowd Milan's numbers. Hmm. Um, I always thought it was really funny. Dowd Milan played Test cricket and then became a T Twenty player. As someone who's mm-hmm. watched him his whole career, I would say that List A cricket was actually what Dowd Milan was best at, mm-hmm. and specifically he's a left-hander um who's going to bat in those middle overs and essentially fill owen morgan's role right mm. and someone sent this i think they sent it on instagram but i forget forget the name of the person who sent it through to me but they basically sent me saying over the last two years in odi cricket he'd averaged some ridiculously high number at a very good strike rate in those middle overs and i kind of knew that already i didn't i don't think i had the exact numbers to hands so i assumed that the if they wanted stokes they probably also want to belong because what they really want to do is replicate the um, root Morgan Stokes middle that, that helped them in the mm. last World Cup. If they can get anything like that again, I think they feel like they have attackers up front and attackers at the end. And in that middle period, what you have then is the ability to just, you know, what I, for me, that's the main machine that makes everything else work because it means that every single game, they should be making 270 to 400, you know, more often than not. And that's the thing that other teams can't do, Hmm. right? And so that what allows them to do that is the ability to score at roughly a run a ball for three different batters all the way through that middle period. Um, And then they've already starting usually at a higher strike rate at at the beginning. And then they're one of the quicker teams at the death as well. Milan helps that. Stokes helps that. Brook is a different kind of player. 
Brooke is the player that, as he currently plays at the moment, probably would be better off to replace what Josh Butler in that kind mm. of a role, right? Now, I can understand. I think it was Joffrey and KP were really confused about all this, and I can understand uh-huh. why other people would be as well. But I don't think that's the spot that they were trying to fix. Quite clearly, I think they were much more worried about the consistent amount of runs, and they think that you know the rest of the the rest of the hitters around them, as I said, the guys up top and the guys in the middle, um, will have the ability to be able to do that for them. So they'll have what Butler. They were. Um, I'm trying to remember who else. Who are the other hitters? I mean, they'll up have, top they have Jason Roy, Johnny Bairstow. Yeah, so Milan, those two Root. covered at the top. I'm trying to find. Why can't I find their World Cup squad anywhere? I thought I had. I'm guessing. Them. Stokes will come in at five, Butler at six, maybe. Or I would actually maybe take a punt and uh, promote Butler certain. Well, games well Butler will just come up with in the game. Yeah, yeah, they'll move that around. But they would have, um, you know, so so they've got they've got Mo and Ali, um, hmm. they've got Sam Curran, they've got um, Chris Wokes, all those sorts of guys uh, who can who can punish you at the other end, right? Um, and so I think from that perspective, it makes a lot more sense to go with that kind of, uh, a lineup. Then it's not, it's not like they have, they don't have teams, hmm. right? Anymore. And I think that's the most important thing, right? Is, is essentially, you know, they still have power and they also just have this, this middle machine of this, which I think works really, really well. And so I can see why Brooke is confusing. Uh, Let me throw a curveball at you. Give me, give did me a they ball. really need? Did they really need all of David Willey, Sam Curran, and who's the other pace bowling all rounder? Chris Wokes. Could they not have gone with two of those guys and made room for Harry Brook? Um. So so. I, uh, oh, and they probably what? have Livingston as well in the hitter role. So there's there's another guy. Yeah. So I, I swear, well, I think you have, if you have Livingston, you then give yourself flexibility with your lineup mm-hmm. because he can bowl a little bit, right? Um, let's let's just have a look here. So they've got they've got Curran, Topley, Willie, Wood, and Wokes, right? So mm-hmm. Willie gives them hitting, uh, Wokes gives them hitting, Sam Curran gives them hitting. Um, I'm trying to remember who who's in the um is it Gus Atkinson? Is he yes, the, it is Gus Atkinson. So Gus Atkinson, obviously, you know, from sorry, sort of come from nowhere um into the into the sort of the international setup uh recently. And uh I, th- I think they think very highly of him. He's never played one day cricket, right? Mm-hmm. Um he's I, never I played any international cricket from what I recall. Yeah, but I think he's only played like two list A games mm. as well. If if I'm if I'm remembering his record correctly, but I know he's played a few T twenties and maybe fifteen or twenty um, uh, first class games. But that I think your point is there that you have you have Gus Atkinson, uh, you have Reese Topley, and you have Mark Wood. So I would flip it, right? I would look at that particular um, mm. side of things and think to myself, well, what roles are we trying to uh, fill? Yeah, right. So Sam Curran and Chris Wokes, I think, because of the batting ability there, um, they give automatic um, extra skills to England, right? And I think right. their backup is David Willey. Does that sound fair? Yeah, I suppose so, so. So Chris Wokes has been a very good new ball bowler in Monday cricket. 
they know he can bat at number eight, right? Hmm. Sam Curran, uh, you know, was the player of the tournament in the last World Cup. Shouldn't have been, but hey, that's for another day. <laughs> uh, player of the tournament in the last World Cup. Also can bat as high as seven. Probably bat him at eight or nine as well in that sort of thing. It gives you more hitting. David Willey is their backup if form or um, injury causes a problem there, right? The, the bowler that they want in the middle is obviously Mark Wood. But my guess is, again, Fairarm, that they're afraid that Mark Wood won't be able to bowl all the overs in the middle because of injury. Mm-hmm. So the backup there is Gus Atkinson for that position. Now, the only thing I would say is if you were going into a tournament with Sam Curran, David Willey, and Chris Wokes, and you're picking them all because they do have a second skill, which I think is fair to say, are you then are you then um, in a situation where you have Reese Topley as your backup because um, you're a little bit afraid of you might need a specialist bowler at one point or another, right? Mm-hmm. So you've got Gus Atkinson, you've got David Willey, and Reese Topley as a backup. Is it possible that Reese Topley could have potentially, you know, big, strong bowler, you know, left arm, very smart. He's a possible Also hit. injury prone, by the way. Also very injury, injury prone. prone. I mean, if he makes it to the end of the World Cup, and he, you know, <laughs> he'll be doing well with his poor history. Um, uh, you know, really nice guy. We all want him to do well, but it doesn't go Really nice well haircut as well. Love the hair. But the point is, do they need, can, could Reese Topley not have been the, um, the backup in that situation for Mark Wood and also the backup if they want a specialist bowler, right? Now, that I think that's a better way of looking at it than your way of looking at it, just because I think they would have wanted those other guys anyway because of the secondary skills. Hmm. But instead of taking one backup for each role, could they have taken one player who was, you know, the double backup, right, in, in that sort of situation? Um, and perhaps because they are taking a, you know, a bit of a punt, uh, you know, on, um, on, you know, a younger player in this particular squad at the moment anyway, uh, you know, they were thinking about it slightly differently. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that, but from a batting perspective, I, th- th- as you said, there isn't really a lot of batting talent in this, you know, depending on how you rate Mo and Ali these days, mm-hmm. there really isn't a lot of batting in this side, right? Like, so yeah. that, that to me would suggest that they're pretty confident Butler's going to do his job, right? Hmm. Johnny Bairstow is going to do his job. What happens if Jason Roy struggles in this tournament? Hmm. Is that a case where Ben Stokes starts to open the batting? Perhaps. Hmm. Or David Milan starts to open the batting, which changes a bit of their order again. So they've got no real strong backup for that at the top unless they're going to move these other guys, which I believe I believe that's what they wanted to form was this other um, situation. So, yeah, it's, it's odd. Um, but look at the flexibility of this squad. Think about what I just said. There is incredible flexibility within this. And I don't think Brooke was going to play anyway, looking at this. Um, the only reason I would have factored Ru- uh, uh, Brooke coming into the side would probably be a Butler injury, right? Hmm. I don't know if there's any other way to get him into this particular side, the way they want to play. So I'm not saying, oh, you know, if you're an England fan and you're sitting there going, oh, well, I would play. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the way that they are constructing this team. Yeah, I mean, I understand the all-rounder overload and how that gives them a lot of dynamism with respect to squad construction. But personally, if you'd ask me, I just somehow fit him in there, you know. Maybe it's my bias because he's done so well in Pakistan and also played at the PSL. I'm a big fan. I'm also a big fan of the back foot play. And he's like very baseball-y 
in his batting in a way. He also has a deal with some baseball team, right? He's, he's got a contract. He did something with, with them, didn't he? Uh, here's yeah, the yeah. other thing. Do you actually think he's that good a player of spin? Uh, maybe not, you know, in India. I'm not sure. I'm not sold on that, yeah. right? Because in Pakistan, it's different. It doesn't really turn that much and they're not very, same, very yeah. batting-friendly tracks. So it'll be interesting. Or it would have been interesting, I suppose, to see him uh, fair on those tracks. And maybe we'll have to wait till that India Test Series because he is in the Test team. And we'll, I mean, we'll see yeah, if he can... Yeah, no, no, you're right. I mean, the only thing I was going to say is that when you break it down is do you trust Milan against spin any more than him, mm. right? But I do think the way that this team is currently constructed, the way that these two players play, I'm not sure specifically if that is that. I, I don't think like Milan or or Stokes really came in for Brook in that in that sense. Mm. I think they went with, for Livingston because Livingston's maybe a little bit more proven and because of the bowling. Um, but look, I, I I think it's an interesting call. But what I find more interesting is that they really seem to be backing that, you know, group that that group of batters, um, mm. and then still loading up with all those all rounders. And then with the bowling, they're kind of maybe just picking too many, as you said, um, you know, in that kind of way. I don't I don't know if that's completely fair. But but mm. when I look at it, that's kind of how I feel about all this. But I don't. I'm not looking at it going. Well, Brooke was going to win them the World Cup anyway. I'm not sure that things have massively changed. Here's one thing I would say. Harry Brook is a very, very attacking player. Um, and we know this. He scores at uh, in, in against um, spin in Europe. Yeah, he scores at 8.2 runs and over um, mm. in Europe. And he scores at uh, 7.6 runs and over in Asia. And I, I promise you, I've already heard the rumors the wrong way, but the, the questions from England, I don't think they feel quite as confident in him. And... Again, think of the position that we're talking about here. You know, we are we're talking about him probably having to come in at number five in in that mm. kind of situation because you know further on they're going to have those more all roundery type players. Um, now in Pakistan, he scored at seven point eight runs and over against spin, and in India it was seven point two runs and over against spin. Right. Mm. The further we dive in, I remember England are going to have metrics on their metrics, right? Like this is just me off the top of my head looking it up while we chat, but. I can see why they might be like, if we, if that's the position he's going to play, we're not quite sure he's there at the moment. Um, I mean, with England's recent, did, haven't, didn't England have something like nine injuries over the last two T20 World Cups? So, <laughs> Phil like Salt, Brook, and uh, who else has missed out on it? Liam Plunkett might still be playing, man. I mean, you know, <laughs> all, all I think he's playing in America, Plunkett. Yeah, well, he yeah. is. But, you know, come back. He, he played Major League. He's ready to go if they mm -hmm. need it. The, the point is that they have churn through there you know chris jordan for instance all chris, those sorts yeah. of players are probably you know a decent chance i mean joffra could still play in this world cup right so mm -hmm. there's a lot that could happen between now and then yeah i mean it's interesting you brought up uh, liam livingston and that position that brooke might have played in i mean if you gave me a choice that i could only pick one of those guys i probably would actually pick livingston because not only does he offer something with the ball he offers a lot of versatility in spin bowling, he bowls both off spin and leg spin. And I don't think I've seen a lot of ambidextrous cricketers like that. You know, I mean, I'm sure you have like a list of 18, but I, I can't quite remember someone on the top of my head. But that's uh, not technically ambidextrous. And you should know that because we have yeah, actually yeah. a couple Left of and right. I don't know. What, no, I don't know what you would call it. It's like finger and wrist. Um, mm -hmm. well, Joe Root does it. Sachin used to do it. Um, mm -hmm. Sobers, you wanted a list of 18. Let's see how far I can go. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, there's a few. I mean, uh, Ashwin used to bowl leg, uh, leg breaks occasionally in T20 cricket mm -hmm. as well. 
yeah, I like that. I don't think he's particularly good at either. And I don't <laughs> mean that in a bad way because the way that England use him and the way that he's been encouraged to bowl is as, as a matchup bowler, right? If he's right. got a right-hander and a left-hander, that was always their problem. Do, we can't mm. bowl Moeen um, at this end or we can't bowl Liam Dawson or you know, Sam Patel or whoever um, because the matchup doesn't work. The idea is that you know you might get slightly more runs, but you won't, you're hoping you won't get the 20 and 25 run over from him. Um, one day cricket, what do we expect him to bowl, Livingston? Four to five overs, right? Not more than that. Yeah. And he did so, well in the T20 World Cup, right? That just happened in Australia. He had a few yeah. really good outings. I, I look at his. I remember his last his IPL figures from last year. Mm. Um, I think it was last year or the year before. Like he has struggled at times before. Mm. If you look at this particular team, like I could see why they would think that they would need him. But I would mm. assume that I would assume that Butler bat six, Moinelli bat seven, um, and then you would have uh, then you would have Karen Wokes mm. and that sort of situation. You know, uh, further on, and then as we've already discussed, you know. They might change things. They've got Rashid and mm. Rashid and Markwood um, available to them as well. Livingston gives them a little bit more flexibility, right? Yeah. And if his bowling does work, you know they have that. Or, and here's the other thing, and this goes back to the Brooks equation a little bit: mm. is it possible to actually, um, you know, have Root and Milan, and maybe not even use Stokes all that much, or Root and Stokes mm. at three and four, right? If yeah. you think, if you think, and you know. Bearstow and Roy have to play a part in this. But if you do think that, you can actually give yourself a really, really flexible uh, lineup there where you have, you know, at five, let's say Butler, right? Mm. At six, you have Livingston. And um, at seven, you have Moeen. You know, you've got a lot of power there, lots of different kinds of hitters. They can mm. all float in different parts of the order. Then you have Sam Curran and, and Woke sort of coming after that. Um, you know, it does give you just that little bit more flexibility with the ball on certain wickets. Mm. You know, there's lots of options there for them. But I do look at the squad and I kind of think rather than think my first thought wasn't that Harry Brook wasn't playing. My first thought was <laughs> Gus Atkinson is being picked for But my, my second thought was I'm not sure they quite, they don't believe in the injuries of their bowlers or they're actually not quite sure what their best combination of bowling is coming into this World Cup. And that makes sense because like the last World Cup, they knew exactly, everyone knew exactly what mm-hmm. they had to do. This World Cup, it's just, they just haven't played any one day cricket. Yeah, I know. That's a fantastic point. Also, just a, another thought that came to my mind. Maybe Harry Brooks' exclusion also comes down to the terrible IPL that he had. You never know. That might have been one of the things that they factored in. But speaking of England's bowling, and we'll wrap up this session after that, you know, Jofra Archer does make one hell of a difference. And with him and without him, England's attack looks like, you know, two different beasts. Yeah. If he is to come somehow make his way into England's team, how much of an impact would that have as far as the incision of this attack is concerned. Yeah, I suppose what you, what you have to say is that he has to be fully fit, right? Like, if mm. they're going to bring him back, they have to know that he could be Jofra Archer. I'm not sure they could be sure of that, which is mm-hmm. the tricky the tricky one. Yeah. What Jofra Archer gives them, if, if you look at their bowling, they want someone who can take wickets with a new ball. So Wokes is a big part of that, of course. Well, off Jofra Archer can double mm. down on that. If they want someone to come back in the middle and get you surprise wickets, again... Joffre Archer can do that job. Um, and then he's obviously one of the best death bowlers in the world. You know, there, there really isn't, and it's like him and Jasper Boomerah. And I'm not sure there's another version of that um, that is that good at all three of those facets. You've got other bowlers who are really good at one or two of them, and they're fantastic. That was the difference for me looking, you know, I, I was pretty confident they were the best white ball team in the world coming into 2019. Hmm. 
Jofra meant that I had no doubt that they were the mm-hmm. best white ball team in the world. Right. And, you know, it was such an upgrade in, you know, I mean, they had, you know, David Willey. I remember there was all this conversation about how unfair it was to David Willey for that mm-hmm. World Cup. And, of course, it was. He was a really good player and he was going to miss out on the theme. Jofra Archer is not David Willey. Like, they are completely different levels of, of cricketer. And the impact they can have, you know, David Willey is one of those players that if you use him absolutely perfectly, he's a really, really good cricketer. Hmm. But he has to be used that way. Joffre Archer, you can actually misuse Joffre Archer, right? <laughs> you can bowl him, he's 10 straight up. You can bowl him in the Liam Plunkett overs in the middle, or you can mm-hmm. bowl him, you know, he's seven overs at the end. He'd still be really good because there isn't a way that you can misuse him unless you bat him at first drop. So, <laughs> you know, I think from that perspective, that, that, that I look at the bowling and I do think one of the reasons they've got so many bowling options available to them is probably because Joffre Archer can solve a couple of those problems on their own. And as I said, Gus Atkinson probably solves one problem. Reese Topley mm. probably solves one problem, right? And what they're really trying to, and David Willey solves one problem. And what they're really missing is that one guy who can do so many different things that you can be flexible within your team lineup. You know, and that that's mm. the great ability, you know. So, you know, Adil Rashid is a fantastic bowler, right? But England can't use him as a defensive bowler and an attacking bowler, right? Whereas... Yeah. Shane Morn or Murali, right, could do those sorts of things. You know, and that's the difference between a really good player and that next level. And Jofra has that next level available to him. Oh, no, absolutely. I think he's the best bowler of the bouncer in contemporary cricket. And I mean, I hope that whenever he does come back, of course, you know, he injury doesn't hamper his progress further because cricket is poorer without Jofra Archer, certainly when you have that kind of player. And uh, yeah, I think that's it for England. We'll be talking about India when we come back. We'll be taking a break. You're watching Uncovered with Jared Kimber and Bharam Kazi. See you in a bit. Get ready to take charge of your favorite leagues in Wicket Cricket Manager. Control the game, buy and sell players, and train them to victory. Play against friends, strangers, or challenge yourself. With your cricket knowledge, become the master on the pitch of Wicket Cricket Manager. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live. Because you shouldn't have to change teams, even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. All right, welcome back to Uncovered. This is Behram Kazi. You can find me at Def Mango on Twitter and with me is Jared Kimber. And uh, India, lots of news coming out of India, actually. But first, we were talking about, of course, how Jofra is going to miss out, maybe, probably, on the World Cup. Well, good news for Indian supporters and all cricket lovers. Jaspeet Bumrah has made his return to international cricket after almost a year. So, very, very long injury. And he's delivered right away, albeit against Ireland. But in the first two T20s, he grabbed a brace of wickets in each game captained those games as well and on his or during his first over upon return he got two wickets so he mm. really announced himself and uh, i mean it is too early it is ireland you have to factor those things in and he's not quite bowling at 140 just yet so do you think that indian fans have every right to be excited or should we wait a little oh no i think we should wait a little bit we i mean we have to see how he pulls up i suppose after mm. the series as much as anything um the pacing i'm not too worried about it wouldn't be the first scene bowler to go to ireland and pull his pace back a little bit it, mm. you know it's, those wickets are not particularly made for you to come in and thump the ball down as quickly as possible um so I, i'm not as worried about that also 
I kind of like the fact that he came back and wasn't maybe bowling at full pace straight away. I think that's a bit more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, uh, it's, you know, you can't not get excited about a cricket like him. He, he has one of the most unique bowling actions we've ever seen. And um, he's got an tr- incredible record. We probably don't, you know, we, we, I don't think we know how good he is in test cricket yet. You know, mm. we haven't seen him play enough of it. Um, we haven't seen him have the kind of impact on a T20 tournament that, uh, sorry, on an international tournament uh, with the ball, the way that perhaps Malinga or um, Mitchell Stark, the other two great white ball bowlers have yet. And we know he's got it in him because we've seen it in, in IPL seasons. Um, but that would, you know, so it, there's plenty of reasons there to be excited for him. But yeah, look, I watched, I, I watched a little bit. Of, one of the games was rained out every time I tried to turn on the TV. But, um, you know, I watched a little bit of it. I watched some of the highlights. He looked fine to me. Um, but it's, yeah, he, I'm not what, I'm, even if he didn't look fine, I wouldn't be overly worried. If he was out on the field and he was feeling it, that's part of where it starts, right? Yeah, I mean, it is far too early to pass any judgment. But based on what I saw, I mean, sure, he wasn't bowling express or 140 plus. But, you know, we saw a wide variety of deliveries. We saw the Yorker. We saw the bouncer. We saw a bunch of slow ones. And he bowled those quite well. And those could be quite handy, you know, come World Cup and death overs and that sort of thing. Jaspeet Bumrah, the impact that he has on India's pace attack. Do you think any other bowler, or maybe, well, Shaheen would be one, Jofra Archer might be one, but there are very few bowlers in world cricket who can have that sort of an impact on a bowling attack? Yeah, I mean, again, it goes back to that player who can bowl in three different periods and be a plus. Mm. You know, Shaheen is not far away from being in that, but maybe he's a little bit more dependent on the new ball at times mm-hmm. and can go a little bit missing at the desk and the, the way the other two don't, right? They're locked down death bowlers yeah. and they're attacking. Um, I, I think the thing for me is that, I don't know the best way of saying this, but it's almost like, in some ways it's almost like comparing him to Shane Warne in that he's a defensive attacking bowler. Hmm. Um, I, I remember having this conversation with someone recently and we were talking about, it might have been someone like Mark Nicholas, and I don't know why I was talking about this particular thing, but we're talking about the fact that Shane Warne didn't bowl with particularly attacking fields, mm. right? So uh, McGrath did. McGrath had fielders everywhere, and Shane Warne didn't. But he still took wickets, but he did it through controlling the game a little bit, right? Mm. And if you look at Jasper Bumrah's limited overs bowling, it's kind of similar, right? Mm. He's not he, he's not overly attacking in a Rabada kind of way, right? Um, Mitch McLennigan, those sorts of guys, we just like, they, they almost don't care about economy rates at certain points. Jasper is never like that. He's always got that on his mind, and yet he still gets wickets. And the thing is that India just don't have a lot of strike bowlers. Yeah. So many of their white ball bowlers tend to be much more defensive in nature, uh, much mm. more, you know, economically good. And that, I've said this before, the problem with that is that you get to the upper levels. You know, you look at a team like South Africa, not particularly a top-level white ball team, but if you don't get them six wickets down, they're going to make a big score, Hmm. right? And they'll consistently make big scores against you. And then you've got the other teams. Again, if you don't, if I've always said this, I don't understand why teams just don't have three slips and two gullies in for England when they start. <laughs> because your best chance of beating England, if you're not, especially if you're not a particularly strong batting team, is literally to bowl them out, right? And you see teams get close to bowling them out and then pull back. And I'm like, no, it's the opposite. You, <laughs> even if they get to 240 because you've over-attacked, you can chase 240. 
right? Yeah. If you if you pull back and they get to 300, 320, 340, you're out of the game, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, those sorts of things I think are really, really important. And I think what Bumrah does for India is even if he's a defensive attacking bowler in that short Shane Warne mold, he still gets you wickets and they desperately need wickets. You cannot play England or Pakistan or Australia or New Zealand or South Africa without taking regular wickets against them because their batters are just too good. And I think that is one thing that India has massively missed. Yeah, and it's plus, you know, the unique bowling action. I mean, if you haven't faced Jasmeet mm. Bumrah, you will struggle at the start a bit to pick him. And that is an added challenge. And I mean, here's to hoping that he pulls through and isn't injured again because he's had similar, you know, experience to Jofra Archer. Maybe not as bad, but he's been injured a fair bit. In other news, of course, India's Asia Cup squad has been announced. And Twice? funny how... Yeah, I think so. But funny how we were talking about this just recently. Yuzvindra Chahal has been dropped again. And I, for the life of me, cannot understand why India persistently or consistently, you know, they do not have faith in who I believe is the best spin bowler in India on these kind of surfaces. Like the Asia Cup is in Sri Lanka. They at least have to play it only in Sri Lanka. So why would you not go for your best spinner? Or maybe they don't view him as their best spinner because they've gone for Akshar. Ravindra Jadeja and Kuldeep. Now, why couldn't Chahal have been slotted ahead of Akshar? You're not going to play both Akshar and Jadeja in a one-day game. Or if you do, then that's kind of one-dimensional, no? Well, I think they've got a theory that Akshar can be used up the order, right? So, did Hmm. he bat at number four against the West Indies in one game? And I know he's done that a couple of times before. So, I suppose if that's the case, him and Jadeja can play in the one side. Because then you're saying, if we've got Jadeja in our top six, maybe top seven, depending on mm. how, how they come out. Um, and we've got Akshar in our top. It doesn't matter if we don't get 20 overs out of those two guys. What really matters is we get 15 overs out of those two players. Mm. Um, and, you know, with all due respect, uh, Kuldeep's batting and, and, and Charles <laughs> batting, he's not quite on that level, right? You're not throwing that, yeah. those guys up the top order. So I do understand it from that perspective. What I don't understand as much is if if – I believe, and I think I'm right in saying this, that the Indian management believe this, that they they do think they've been too conservative at times. Mm. And I think that, again, they had the chance to probably, let's, let's say they could have even gone as far as saying, we will pick Jadeja as a batter or we will mm. pick Akshar as a batter, uh, which allows us to actually get two extra spinners in the side. Let's have yeah. one of each, right? Let's have Kuldeep and Chahal. I think Chahal is a better player against the very best uh, batters in the world than Kuldeep is. Yeah. Um, also, you mentioned the lack of strike bowlers, right? Chahal yeah. is a really good strike bowler. His well, IPL assuming, numbers are proof. Yeah, I'm assuming Kuldeep... I haven't looked at his numbers, but I'm assuming Kuldeep, since he came back, probably is a fairly decent strike bowler as well, but maybe not quite hmm. on that level. But yeah, that's what I kind of mean. If, if you can fit one of Jadeja or Akshar in as a batter, right and Hmm. they kind of i think that's what they want one way or another um that allows them to take an extra punt i would have thought with an extra you know with one more properly purely attacking bowler so if you do get down to a situation where let's say you're playing for that semi-final spot right so we're not talking Mm -hmm. about the semi-final itself but you're playing for that semi-final spot um and you can literally go you know you've got you've got maybe those two finger spinners um in the side and then you pick the wrist spinner who is the most attacking out of those two, or 
if you think the wicket's going to turn, you pick both of them and you tell Akshar or Jadeja they might not bowl as much in that game. And you've got Bumrah. And now you've got genuine two or slash three wicket-taking options, which allow you to just put a hole in the opposition team. And I I, I like that as a, as a gambit, but it does depend on how everything falls together as, as a squad and everything else. Um, but I would probably pick Chahal, but at the same time, Kuldeep being there still to me says that they, they, they've got that strike spinner if they need it. But here's the thing, Bayram, they need to play him because <laughs> uh, that we've seen them take strike spinners before and not play them. And I don't yeah. think they can, if they come back again, especially from a home World Cup, so I suppose in that case, not come back, stay, stay mm. at home. But if they have another World Cup where they are too conservative, right? And especially with the ball, they've gotten, that, that's it. They have to, they almost have to go full England 2015 and just rip yeah. it down and start again. They've got to stop pissing about. Yeah, and it's interesting. I see a lot of uh, tweets out there which kind of justify this that, oh, you need to have some sort of player who can bat at number eight. Look, if you play your best bowlers, in my opinion, you kind of compensate for that. And Virat Kohli did prove this as captain of the test team. He went with the extra bowler and he won you games. So that would be the attacking move in my mind, at least. And I feel for Chahal. He wasn't there in the UAE T20 World Cup. And was he there in Australia? I think he He was was there. He was was there in Australia. Yeah, um, I mean, look, I, look, he's a very good player. Um, it, as a, I, I don't think it matters as much to me uh, mm. which one of those two guys it is, right? Like, mm. that's not... Um, the, the more important thing to me is that they're probably thinking that one of those guys will do it. What I would be more worried about is if we get to a situation where, you know, they, they just don't do it again, right? Mm. And they get there and they get to a point where they're... And they're saying to themselves... Oh, uh, you know, what what we need is another finger spinner who, you know, who, who won't take any wickets in the middle. Because I think that's the most important thing is I, I really don't think you can beat a lot of these teams without without that sort of game, right? Without actually, yeah. um, you know, consistently beating, taking wickets in that middle period. or You know, and I don't mean mad wickets. If you look at Adil Rashid and, and um, mm. Liam Plunkett's record, um you weren't, it's not like either of them were averaging the 20s, right? But they consistently took wickets. Um, I've just seen a couple of comments, by the way, who have said, oh, wait, I've got the figures wrong here, um, who have said that Cool Deep has been better in the last couple of years. Re- remember that it's more than just the last couple of years, I think, when, when you're talking about these sorts of players, because what you're really looking for um, is someone who specifically is tried and tested and is very, very experienced. And to be fair to Cool Deep, um, he hasn't had the opportunity to do that because he did have that um, downward period. But some people have said that he has the better record in T20. This is the last two years in T20 cricket. So since August in 2021, um, mm-hmm. Chahal is averaging 20.44 in that time from twice the amount of deliveries as Cool Deep. Mm-hmm. And Cool Deep's averaging 23 um, at, um, uh, at a slightly, about half a run and over uh, better economy. There's, my point would be there's no problem with picking either of those guys, right? Mm. But you still have to back them, right? You still have to be yeah. in, a, in a situation where you are actually going to play them, right? And until that happens, it doesn't matter to me if there's one of them, two of them, three of them or four of them in the squad, right? They have to be out there. They have to be bowling. Ajitagaka has to come up with as many different um, selection announcements as possible. Um, and then the team finally gets out on the field. 
was an unnecessary yeah, swipe, but it was quite funny that he basically <laughs> announced the team twice. It'll be interesting, you know, what sort of eleven they field in the Asia Cup. Because look, even though this is yeah, sure, preparation for the World Cup and all, it's still the Asia Cup. It does mean something, and India would want to win it. So yeah, I'll be keeping a keen eye on their playing eleven. More good news, I suppose, for them is that we were discussing how India have a middle order problem and that forever number four issue. Well, KL Rahul is back from injury, and so is Shriyas Iyer. Now you can argue that those guys might be rusty, but we know that they bring a certain amount of quality. Can Indian supporters breathe easy with those two guys back in the fold? Probably not. I'm not sure Indian supporters are massively keen on either of them, are they? <laughs> um, look, I think I think we talked about this last week, or maybe I talked about it with someone else. I can't remember. But uh, Kale Rahul, of the players who is going to bat number four, who isn't Virat Kohli or Rohit Sharma, makes the mm. most sense to bat at number four. I think he... I think there was a series against England where he might have actually batted at number five, but I like the way he went about his innings in, you know, knocking the ball around. But when he had to go, he went very, very hard. I mean, if if you got him to play at number four and he played the same way that we moan about in T20 cricket, where he averages 55, right, and only starts slogging well later on, that's actually a really good number four, right? It, hmm. It's not AB to the years and, you know, it's not that Glenn Maxwell sort of player, but it's a really good number four from the point of view of you make sure that your middle is chugging you're consistently, your team is making runs. And then if you have the ability to hit big and then the intent to start hitting big rather than chipping around, you know, the worst mm-hmm. thing you can do in that sort of situation is, you know, end up with a strike rate of 110. Um, you know, you really want to go nuts at the end and, you know, get that strike rate up to 130, 140, 150, even if possible. Um, you can make a big impact. And I think Kyle Rowell for me is the player that has that ability out of those two. Again, a little bit more experience than Trey Sire. The only thing I would say is that Shreyas Iyer in India is such a huge, you know, I, I think there's question marks are wrong. I still think he needs to develop his game outside of India a little bit more. Mm. But inside India, I, you know, he, he's an absolute beautiful player. And the other question yeah. is what, what kind of wickets are you going to have? I think if you're going to have absolutely mm. raging turners, you probably prefer to have Shreyas Iyer in the team. If you're going to have more ICC flatter wickets, which is what we're expecting, then probably KRL. But, you know, there's many different facets to that. Who keeps wicket for you though, Ishan Kishan or KL Rahul? Because Ishan Kishan is the person that they've Ishan been Park. playing consistently. Well, he's not an option, and neither is Sanju Samson anymore. He's a traveling reserve. So yeah, that's an interesting call because I would be a bit iffy to give KL Rahul the gloves after injury, and that's also added responsibility. I don't know. Maybe Ishan Kishan makes more sense, but then if you look at the quality of batters, I think KL Rahul's experience and the ability to go berserk, particularly towards the end, I think he just adds more value. But it's a tough one. It does, yeah, it does show you that. I mean, I know Richard Pant hasn't made as many ODI runs as people would have wanted so far, but it, not having a player like that does cause you issues, right? Like, <laughs> I think even even within the talented structure of Indian cricket, there's plenty of players, but they don't quite fit in the same way. It, it to go back to the England team, it's one thing England have tried to do, right? Of England are slightly taking away the creativity of one-day hmm. cricketers. And what they're doing is saying, you do this role and you do that role. So they would might they might be willing to pick, you know, someone who they might pick Phil Salt to replace Butler, knowing that Phil Salt's Salt's not as good a wicket keeper. I'm just spitballing it. He's, there's not that much, but they might even say he's not as good a wicket keeper and he's not as good a batter, but he can replicate what Josh Butler does. Um, this is this is a tricky one because Kyle Rowell and um, Ishan Kishan are not potentially replicating it. You would say Ishan Kishan probably doesn't want to be in the middle to lower order. Um, mm-hmm. They're probably not going to put him up the top. 
So it would make more sense if it's cow rule. But yeah, I mean, again, there's no cow rules. Wicket keeping is just not strong in one day cricket, mm-hmm. right? Like in T20 cricket, teams take slightly bigger gambles. Um, but it's but it's an interesting one. I would assume they would go with cow rule, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I mean, I would as well. Okay, so enough about the Indian team. There's more news that's come out of India. Of course, you know, the World Cup schedule, there was a lot of drama, lots of rescheduling. They finally came up with a revised schedule and, you know, it was made public. Everyone was happy, this and that. They finally, we've, you know, reached the end of this whole, um, I don't even know what to call it, circus. But uh, yeah, the Hyderabad Cricket Association has now raised concerns and they're saying that they're hosting back-to-back games. New Zealand versus the Netherlands and then Pakistan versus Sri Lanka. And they cannot provide adequate security. So, I mean... Those New Zealand is... fans are feral. I agree. <laughs> yeah, I mean, good luck to all of those people who are planning your their vacations because the tickets go on sale August 25th. Today is August 21st and we still have these issues going on. And uh, it's funny how Najam Sethi, the former PCB chairman, also took a dig at the BCCI that, you know, he'd suggested that Pakistan should play at neutral ground. So he's having a bit of tongue-in-cheek over there as well. But this is a really, really bad look because we're a month and a half away from the big dance. Yeah, it's... um, I always wonder when this happens. Surely Hyderabad knew before it was announced that they were in this situation. So does no, this so mean- actually the revised schedule kind of pushed Pakistan's game to the 10th of October and that's why they're hosting back-to-back. Before that, that wasn't an issue. So that's the story. Yeah, but back-to-back shouldn't change the amount of security that you need, Mm Bayram. Yeah, and how much security do you really need for New Zealand versus the Netherlands? Do you Um, think there's a big threat over there? (laughs) I mean, do you know what I mean? Like, if you had two games on the one day, Hmm. your security would be different. Um, There's a lot of security staff and police available because chances are even if the games weren't back to back if pakistan had a break and pakistan's the issue mm. here right we, we know that yeah probably um if pakistan had a break they still would have been in town beforehand but mm-hmm. again that, what i was going to say is is this just incompetence right as in mm-hmm. no one actually went to hyderabad and said this is what we're going to be do this is their flight schedule because you have to tell them everything i know that sounds yeah. obvious but you do actually have to say, these are the times that these people are going to be in your town. Is this okay? Great. Okay. Confirmed. We're going ahead with that now. You've got 24 hours to work that out. I've seen people do this before. You know, I've been in the room when these decisions have been made, not for a major tournament like this, but it's all the same, right? You know, how many police officers do you need? How many security do you need? Are the ambulances going to be free? Is, you know, an am- is there an ambulance festival on the other side of town? <laughs> all these things, all these things matter. Um, so I wonder, just from having dealt with the BCCI a little bit, I kind of feel like the BCCI thinks that they will just say something and that people will do what they want. And you never know if there's politics involved too, of someone just like trying to make a big mm-hmm. point of, you know, of whatever it may be or all these sorts of different things. But it's been a shit show from beginning to end, right? Mm-hmm. The way that they have scheduled this tournament has been absolutely terrible and you can't really forgive them for what has happened. Um, they haven't looked after the fans correctly. They're still not looking after the fans correctly, right? So um, it's it's very hard to sit back and go, oh, they, they were done over here or whatever. And maybe it is Hyderabad's fault completely, but I think we're past caring whether it's Hyderabad's fault. We just yeah. want to actually know when and where the tournament will be played. Um, mm-hmm. And as you said, we're almost there and we don't know. 
Yeah. And it's interesting because this is the BCCI we're talking about, right? If we think of cash-rich sports organizations or boards, this is the one that stands high up top, or at least, you know, in the top five globally, I would say, because they've got a lot of money. So can't they just throw more money at Hyderabad? Because I'm quite sure that India doesn't have a lack of security personnel, right? You could probably hire those guys. Ship them in. Um, Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think those sorts of things, I I don't know who's organizing this tournament. Hmm. Um, uh, You know, it used to be Steve Elworthy, who was quite kind of famous for, for these sorts of things. And you know, he he organized, I think, most of the tournaments after the 2007 World Cup that didn't go very well. So mm-hmm. they brought him in. Um, and I remember during COVID, you know, how diligent he was with, you know, smaller details and everything else. There is an element of, you know, there's always going to be a problem, right? Mm-hmm. And that's fine. It is actually how you handle each individual problem. And, you know, I've got a lot of friends who've worked with the ICC. And as I said, other people who've run small tournaments as well. These things happen. What the question is why they're happening so close to the tournament, hmm. right? And that isn't the fault of uh, some random person in Hyderabad who's uh, doesn't want to pay for extra security. And as you said, it might be a shakedown. This is something that should have happened a long time earlier. Because if yeah. this tournament was around for seven months, right, uh, and we knew exactly when it was going to be played, this art- this article is not a huge news deal six months ago. It's a huge hmm. issue now because of yeah. how close the tournament is. And so that is completely on the fact that they took as long as they did to get to this situation. It's just not been handled the way it should have been. Yeah, I mean, and if you guys or some of you viewers want to go and watch this World Cup in India, I'd say hold off a bit, you know, on those tickets and hotel bookings because we never know what will happen in the coming days. I'd say book in December if you want to be safe. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. But anyway, that's enough for this segment. We'll be back after a short break. You're watching the Uncovered Podcast with Behram Kazi and Jared Kimber. See you in a bit. Welcome back to the Uncovered Podcast. This is Behram Kazi. You can find me on Twitter at DefMango. And with me is Jared Kimber, the out-and-out superstar. So, Jared, uh, great news coming from the associate world. Uh, New Zealand and the UAE played a T20 series, a three-match T20i series. And even though New Zealand won the series, they lost the second T20i. And the UAE, you know, not only did they, you know, kind of record their greatest moment in the history of cricket like personally the, the the one that they've played but they also you know beat New Zealand quite convincingly they chased mm. down 143 odd in six in the 16th over and then some of the guys really stepped up right like Ayan Khan the slow left armor he got three for 20 and back-to-back wickets and then the captain Mohammed Wasim got a quick fire 50 Asif Khan batted really well they really blew New Zealand away in that second T20i and even though this is a depleted New Zealand squad. You'd have to say that's quite a big moment for yet another associate nation after the very recent Netherlands success story of them making it to the World Cup. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird New Zealand team. It has to be mentioned that, like, Chad Bowes, Tim Seifert, Mitchell Santa, and Dane Cleaver was their top four, right? So, mm. uh, Mark Chapman, probably the only guy. <laughs> uh, Tim Seifert is, I suppose, a little bit there as well. But there aren't mm-hmm. that many, you know, bigger name players. But, if you look at the full team, they still had um, Jimmy Neesham, Rachim Ravindra, Carl Jameson, Tim Southey was obviously Tim there. Tim Southey. You know, so there's a lot of good quality cricketers there. And some of those players that, you know, didn't do particularly well for New Zealand, they're still expecting to go ahead. But I think any team that has Mitchell Santner batting at number three is probably <laughs> trying some things, Bayram. It's probably fair to say. Um, yeah. Look, I I covered... You, well, I, 
when I was working for Scotland, we were playing uh, UAE. We played them in a warm-up game before that World Cup uh, qualifiers in 2018, 2019, whenever they were. Mm. And I and I remember we turned up at the ground and they were already missing one or two players. Do you remember that was the series where five of their players disappeared at various times? <laughs> um, either they left and just moved back to Pakistan or India, or um, I think they were, might have been, all been Pakistan or might have been India. I can't remember. Um, uh, there was match fixing allegations. There was match fixing suspensions. You know, all these different mm-hmm. things happened. But they beat us in that warm up game. And they were really, really good. And that was a very good quality Scottish team. And then in the last World Cup, when they came to Australia, they were obviously, you know, not made for Australian conditions. But you looked at players like, you know, Mohammed Wazim and um, Aravind, who I'm a big fan of. And you're like, there's there's actual talent here. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, you know, I've seen them in the nets. The, you know, they, they, a lot of the UAE players, you know, uh, uh, in, are used as net bowlers for, you know, major teams when they're warming up and all sorts of things. There's, there's a lot of talent around the UAE. Um, and it's just that it hasn't been looked after correctly. The, the board there hasn't run, you know, it particularly well. They don't really know what to do. It's hard to actually get like good quality UAE cricket being played, um, at the club level that the club level is very haphazard. Um, so if you compare that to say, I don't know, Papua New Guinea or the Netherlands or Namibia, they don't have that kind of structure, right? Mm-hmm. Where, you know, you know, you're going to be playing, you know, even if you're playing club cricket, you know, that you're going to be playing this many games a year and, what, uh, and whatever, um, UAE, you know, uh, uh, is, it, it's just running, uh, the, the local cricket is just running a very different way. And we haven't seen the most out of them. Remember they're at the 1996 world cup. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Sultan Zarawani got sent to hospital by Alan David when he decided uh, Alan David Alan Donald when he decided to bat in a, in a hat. Um, and you no, know, they've been around cricket for a long time now. And my biggest concern with them as a team is just that because of the way that UAE is set up as a society, there doesn't seem to be any investment in them. But mm. as I said, on a pure talent perspective, I do think there's a lot of talented cricketers around the UAE. This doesn't change my opinion of them. Um, mm. you know, I know, I know Ash said something very nice and a few other people have said something very nice and you said it was their best whenever all these things are true. But if you would have told me that was the New Zealand team they were going up against, I would have given them a fairly decent chance at home. They played very good subcontinental cricket. So if you compare them to, uh, ne- Nepal, uh, Oman, Oman maybe, um, yeah. I'm trying to think, is there another team I'm forgetting as well? They're, I think they're the best subcontinental team out of those, right? Of just mm. their ability to play to their conditions, really, really good. You know, Rohan Mustafa when he was around, you know, just mm. like proper, like he knew exactly what to do in any situation on those kinds of wickets. They're very good at that sort of stuff. Whereas you look at some of the other teams, and I'm not sure they're quite at that level. Um, but the amount of times in UAE cricket, I would say that they've almost become like the associate version of Zimbabwe. <laughs> where they've been around long enough that they kind of feel like they're around. Um, but you're not actually sure if they're even playing and who their team is at the moment. And, you know, they, they get rid of coaches for sort of random reasons and, you know, their star players don't play and, and all these sorts of things that happen to them. I, I always feel that they just can't develop the way that they should be developing. Um, but hopefully this is, you know, another major moment. I, mean, I would say that for a team as talented as them, they haven't got as many of those sort of Kenya uh island you know mm. upsets that you need right 
Uh, you either need to be the sexy team, right? <laughs> Where, you know, the Afghanistan or even Nepal, right? At certain times. Yeah. Or, or Papua New Guinea. Or you need to be the upset team, right? Mm. You know, the Namibia type teams, uh, Ireland, all those sorts of teams. And I, I feel that UAE haven't managed to be either, right? Um, oh, do you want my favorite UAE cricket fact? Yeah, go for it. 2015 World Cup. Mm-hmm. They were playing with an Indian sponsor on their chest. And that Indian uh-huh. sponsor paid almost nothing, right? It was a mm-hmm. really low sponsorship deal. And, and the UAE players are playing out there. And the national airline is sponsoring the umpires. I mean, it kind of tells <laughs> you where they are in the pecking order of cricket, right? That's actually quite true. And a lot of the national, like their national airline sponsors a lot of things, right? English that is fair. clubs Emirates and all of that stuff. Yeah. Sponsor everything. But you know what I mean? Yeah. Where Emirates is just like, we're not even going to put out it. We're too, yeah. not, we're too famous a worldwide brand to actually sponsor our own cricketers. But we are going to sponsor the umpires, of which <laughs> no one likes anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's actually a fair point. And it's interesting how you speak of, you know, the talent that UAE have at their disposal. And of course, you know, you don't just end New Zealand's 38-0 win streak versus as associate nations in cricket just like that you've got to be some level of good but it's interesting to me because okay sure you know the talent is not managed properly with a proper structure but they've got the infrastructure you know more than most associate nations they've got those stadiums and they've got the facilities well, why can't they use that better so the stadiums and the um the thing i think they're all privately owned Mm. Okay, so well, even the ICC. It. So if you go to the ICC Academy training facility and grounds, there's, so there's two grounds and then a big string of nets. I don't know how many training nets it would be, maybe 15 or 16 mm. training nets. It's incredible. Um, and here's another story about UAE cricketers. Um, they were the net bowlers for us. And mm. myself, uh, the Scottish physio and the Bermuda manager suddenly realized that there were no drinks or food for any of these people. So we obviously contact the ICC and we're like, what are you doing? You've got these net bowlers bowling in the middle of the day, right? And there's no drinks for them and there's no food for them. They're going to die. And they'll be doing morning and afternoon (laughs) sessions, right? And if you're a good net bowler, every team's going to want to use you. So those are the guys that were being absolutely pumped. And I do think they're getting paid, but obviously, you know, not not great wages. You're a net bowler, right? No one's getting paid a lot of money to be a net bowler. You do it for the love. You do it to get seen by someone and, you know, all those sorts of things. Basically. Maybe get a coach, give you a tip, all those sorts of things. And that was when I found out when we complained, the ICC were like, yeah, we don't deal with that. It's done. And it's all privately run. Um, and so it is a, it's not, it's a bit like Hong Kong. Right. Mm. So if you go to Hong Kong, two beautiful cricket grounds, incredible indoor outdoor training facilities, the Hong Kong cricket team do not have access to that. Hong Kong cricket team quite often play in a shitty little club ground in the middle of nowhere that doesn't have particular <laughs> training facilities. So the UAE is a little bit more like that. So yes, on the out on the outside, you look at these grounds and you're going, "Whoa, they've got everything they want. Look at this, you know, all the all these things." I don't think they have access to it in the same way. And I do think that causes big problems. And it, certainly, I don't think Hong Kong and UAE are the only places on earth where there is that kind of disparity, right? Where, you know, uh, there's probably some local private cricket clubs where expats come and play with beautiful facilities. And then the international players have to go play on the cowpats. Yeah, I guess we'll just have to wait for Saudi Arabia to come up with the team. And all these guys can then go there, make some good bank and then represent Saudi Arabia. Don't get paid anyway. more as netballers there, right? Yeah, definitely. They'll have like a full feast after or something or maybe like a camel or two, just like that. Uh, Based on what we're seeing, at least from the football league that they've uh, started, you know, players are just getting Rolex watches on good performances just, you know, by fans. So there's that. But uh, anyway, final topic of the day. And this is a big one, actually. Now, 
New Zealand are set to host South Africa for a two-match test series at the same time that the SAT20 is scheduled. And because of that, several key players uh, within South Africa won't be able to play that test series. And when I say several key players, I mean everybody. Because that doesn't leave a lot of people. You know, it's their entire bowling attack and some key batters as well. So this is like very, very, I don't know, it kind of hurts you as a cricket supporter because you've got the World Test Championship and all these stakes and, you know, it's a big occasion. Any test match is a big occasion these days. But now because their franchise league is set up in a certain way that their national players are contracted like that, they won't be able to play those New Zealand tests and that might hurt their chances significantly in a bid to make the World Test Championship final. So, quite harrowing, wouldn't you say? Well, they're not trying to make the World Test Championship final, are they? Mm, I guess not. I mean, that's... The truth, right? If they were, they would be playing in this. We've already seen them scrape around and almost not qualify for the ODI World Cup um, without having to go to qualifiers before. Um, they've made. Their they decision. actually said that uh, playing in those qualifiers would have been good practice. So they were ruining the fact that they won't oh, yeah. be playing the qualifiers. Yeah, I, I think they said practice. something like that. No, no, yeah. they did. But you know, yeah. well, then they should have failed on purpose. Um, <laughs> look, they have made their decision with SA Twenty. There's no money to be made in South African cricket. I think we, because they've been around for so long, even with the apartheid thing and disappearing for a long period of time, I think there's always been a misapprehension about South African cricket. The the Curry Cup, which was their first class competition, I don't think they call it that anymore, but you know, traditionally it was their first class uh, competition going way back. They couldn't play that in the same years they had a touring team coming out. So in the 1920s and 1930s, they either played Australia or England or New Zealand, um, or they played first-class cricket, right? They've never been able to monetize cricket in that way. In fact, the most money that was ever involved in South African cricket before SA20 was probably during apartheid when the beer companies were pumping all that money in to bring the rebel players out, right? They just, their cricketers don't make money domestically. It's why the coal pack thing was, you know, so brutal to them. Uh, they don't make as much money internationally as perhaps other South African stars would in other sports. Um, they are, they have never found a way to really monetize it. They hope the SA20 is part of that, right? They actually hope that that fixes a big problem for them going ahead. But they're not that removed from what the West Indies is. It's just that they feel like, because they're one country and because they're a big country, that there is something else there. The truth is that they've never found a way to monetize their cricket. And because of that, they are in a situation where they believe their best option to be this. It's It was going to happen one way or another. We've already seen little steps like this before. The hmm. big difference between this and everything else is it's not the players specifically. Although, I'm not saying this, the players aren't involved. If you have an IPL deal uh, and you've already signed up for an SA20 team, I think you know, you'd be doing that. But I think the big difference here is that Cricket South Africa have made a couple of decisions recently where they're just like, the SA20 is more important to us. And, you know, I said the same thing of the PSL. If teams were not, when that period, when no one, when everyone was canceling their tour to Pakistan, mm. the smartest thing to do at that stage would be for the PSL to put all their resources into, the, um, sorry, the PCB to put all their resources into the PSL. Mm-hmm. That is essentially what Cricket South Africa are doing, right? They have been surviving on Indian tours for a very, very long time. It's not a particularly brilliantly run organization. You know, they 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 lost what two boards um, in, in a short period of time. They didn't handle the racism um, situation very well. They didn't handle Mark Boucher's ca- uh, coaching career very very well. Um, they made Quint de Kock the captain, despite the fact that 
everyone in South African cricket told you he didn't want to be captain and wasn't going to hang around for very long. They completely held, hung um, Temba Bavuma out to dry twice. Um, you know, they've just made a lot of basic errors, right? They're not mm. well run. They don't have a lot of money. They think the SA20 is their savior. I think it relegates them to being a feeder league for other leagues. Yeah. Fine. If they would probably say to you, yeah, but if we can keep paying everyone and keep growing the game in our country, maybe we will get occasionally a great international team out of this and they'll go to a World Cup and win it, right? That's probably what they're thinking. I don't know if they're wrong on that, but it does feel like that what we won't see in, in, in the future is South African cricket being particularly good in bilateral um, situations. And the irony of that, of course, is during their terrible World Cup run, they were usually one of the best bilateral teams in the world. And now their bilateral is taking a break so that they can win World Cups when they never win World Cups. So look, it's all a bit of you know a farce, the way that they've run everything. Um, and it is a shame but the other truth is that, that, you know, I've been saying this for a long time, between November and March, so many places have cricket season and have tournaments now that mm-hmm. I think it will eventually affect Australia. And they're in a far stronger financial position than South Africa. Yeah. It will affect New Zealand as well. All these places will get sucked up into it because there's just too much money out there now. Particularly because those countries, New Zealand, South Africa and Australia, their summer is around that period. And also, you know, the SA20 clashes with the ILT20 as well, which is another big money league. So maybe you're not always able to, you know, attract the top talent and that might hamper your progress as well. So there's a lot of caveats to this. But for me, you know, South Africa is such an enjoyable test team to watch. And they were pretty decent up until a certain point in the previous cycle as well. They kind of botched it towards the end. But... For a long time, they were challenging for that final. So it just tells me that that might not be happening again in the future because this seems to be one of those moves which will impact South African generations to come. And maybe players will just opt for the shorter format as well, try and earn some good money. And yeah, I mean, here's to hoping that we don't lose South Africa as a top destination, I suppose. That's all I have to say about it. Yeah, I think you're right. Look, if we lose South Africa, we're going to lose West Indies, we're going to lose New Zealand, we're going to lose Sri Lanka, we're going to lose maybe not Pakistan, but Pakistan won't be that far away as well. Mm. That you know, having said all that, Saudi Arabia could come in in five minutes' time and change mm. things completely again in many different ways. The truth is, mate, and I've been saying this since I started working, that the schedule never made any sense, and they instead of fixing international schedules. They all rushed over to T20 and they made the schedules even worse through that. It doesn't make sense the way that we're trying to fit in all these different things. Um, and South African one-day team and the test team is paying the price for the fact that no one runs cricket. And ultimately, because no one runs it, it just keeps running into a brick wall. Yeah, and, and when they got Graham Smith on board, I actually had a lot of hope that they might fix this, but clearly they haven't done that. But yeah, let's see where this... Uh, proliferation of franchise T20 cricket leads our game. Anyway, that is enough for this episode of the Uncovered Podcast. Thank you to everyone who tuned in. And thank you, Jared, for your time. This is Behram Kazi. You can find me on Def Mango on Twitter. And with me was Jared Kimber. Have a good one. We'll see you again next week. That's all for now. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version via Patreon, where there are many other extras as well, including a Discord channel. There's a link to those in the show notes. Please review, subscribe, and tell all your friends about our show. Word of mouth is the best way of making our podcast grow. If we had a guest on, chances are their socials are in the show notes. 
please support everyone who comes on this show. I am Jared Kimber, and this is my network. But we also have hosts and co-hosts like Barat Sundaresan and Bayram Kazi. This network is overseen by Nick McCorriston. Each episode is produced by Ishit Kuberka at Sound Potion Studio. The team from 42 help us out with the video side. Orijoti Saina Payu and Maida Akam, both producing podcasts, while Makunda Bandredi is the head of our YouTube content. Do you make content but don't want to listen to yourself talk? Well, I get that. Memento FM's AI does all the listening for you. It picks out the highlights and it makes you sound far more amazing than you really are. Embrace Memento FM today. Sports Social Podcast Network.